Area 51 is in the middle of the desert, so it's nice and secretive. I don't know what goes on there. I think it was just strictly used as uh, a zone to test modern warfare at the time. Do I think that it's a storage container for all of these aliens living and dead? No, not necessarily. And I feel like if it did have aliens, I definitely wouldn't know. And if it didn't have aliens, I definitely wouldn't know. Yeah. Do I believe in aliens? Absolutely. And so many of them don't like have any reproductive like parts. There's just like a blank, like Ken doll kind of <laughs> thing there. But I try not to think about it too much because aliens terrify me. I'm in the middle on if aliens were seen by other people. Maybe it's like Bigfoot. I don't know. Are we planning a road trip to Storm Area 51? Hell no. Yeah, let's go. From Outface Productions, this is Listening Glass. Arjuna, it happened, man. My uh, Amazon order just came in. I've got my gas mask. I've got full face helmet. I've got shoulder pads, eye wash. I'm totally ready to storm Area 51. Are you ready to run faster than the bullets? Faster than rubber bullets. <laughs> but really, there's a, there's a bit of a buzz right now about Area 51. Oh, it's happening. Which has certainly got mine and yours attention. And it's a topic that has been always in the airwaves, it seems like, culturally, in the United States at least. And I've always honestly never really cared that much. <laughs> yeah. Your, your thoughts don't just wander periodically to Area 51? Not really. No. Like, it's it's one of those things, it's just like you hear people, um, you know, crazy uncle stories, stuff like that. People mention it, and it's kind of like, it kind of falls in the same camp as like a ghost story for me, when people talk mm. about UFOs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But finally, since it caught some buzz, it's it made me want to look into it a little bit more. And I was happy you thought it would be a fun idea to do a show on, so that we have an excuse to kind of like really show some research into it oh definitely yeah yeah Yeah. i know i was noticing like all over reddit and everywhere i was looking there was this sudden resurgence of area 51 stuff and i was like what is this all about Mm -hmm. and so yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna delve into that a little bit later Uh but the media has just been a buzz with talk of of people storming storming area 51 i've I've, it's all been word of mouth for me which i find curious yeah right and i guess it's bouncing around the internet but for the most part it'll just be like my housemate for example she works in the woods and she works with youth and she came home one like we see her like once a week she came home and she's like so like you guys know about this storm area 51 thing (laughs) that was the first i heard of it i was just like what I love it. Uh, <laughs> your, your gardening woodsy housemate, yeah, is on the cutting edge of this. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. I wonder if she picked it up from like the teenagers, like the troubled youth she works with, or whatever. But yeah. Um. So yeah, it's around, and I don't know. Honestly, all of my homework on this topic has been like deep in the Cold War, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and about the actual base. Yeah, and a little bit about people's so-called encounters with ufos and things like that and so i haven't i've hardly looked up anything about the whole storming of it but i understand you've done some homework on that i have yeah i have yeah good we'll get to it i think i think we should dig into 
we got to get to the meat of it, which I think is aliens and aliens, UFOs, right? Totally. So let's go there. Okay. Let's figure out kind of what stories are kind of the most prominent. What are the most famous ones? Um, take a good look at them. And then maybe we can dig into Area 51 and then figure out like if people are going to do this or not. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. First of all, the whole idea of there being extraterrestrials and that they visit the planet isn't terribly new. There is, you can see... In, in fact, we, discuss, we discussed it two episodes ago. <laughs> with, with the Fermi Paradox? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's exactly. A, it's a fitting sort of follow-up. Yeah. Because we didn't really talk about... Sometimes people would ask me what we were going to talk about that show, and I was like, eh, aliens, kind of. And they probably thought of this topic rather yeah. than what we actually talked about. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so this is kind of the flip side. This is kind of more the paranormal conspiracy theory side of it as opposed to the kind of scientific what is the likelihood that there is life on other planets side of it definitely a good pairing so anyway there's stories that go way back one of my favorite ones is from 1790 in france oh wow yeah this goes way back all right so and it's funny because it actually has some parallels to modern day ufo stories um meaning there's it, it involves a basically a defense contractor from back then <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right. Who's the whole the whole military UFO axis has been around that long. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> good term, good term. So the king of France, I think it was, or some other rich aristocrat, uh hired s- somebody who knew technology to build a hot air balloon in order to use for warfare. Okay. And this hot air balloon encounters a thunderstorm and it crash lands in a small French town. Not a good combo. Now, in 1790, hot air balloons weren't really like in vogue and common. It was the experimental aircraft, uh, like top secret thing of the time. Wow. And when it hit the town, people thought it was a monster and literally attacked it with like pitchforks <laughs> oh, no. and machetes. <laughs> No, was anyone alive in it at this point? I don't actually. The, the <laughs> account I heard of it didn't happen to mention yeah. whether or not the pilot had survived or how they were treated. But yeah. the 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 blimp, or not the blimp, the hot air balloon itself was treated like a quote unquote a monster, <laughs> which I love. It's so, so like the modern day equivalent is like li- like little gray men or little green men, whatever your color choice is. Um, you know, yeah. inhabiting these flying saucers and whatnot. So that's one of the earliest ones that I enjoyed. <laughs> and apparently yeah. there's old like cave drawings and hieroglyphics and things like that that seem to point toward flying saucers and things like that. Yeah. Um, now, a hieroglyphic that looks like a fi- flying saucer, saucer, I'm assuming is like a horizontal line or a hyphen, which I'm ass- is a pretty like basic shape. <laughs> so, I mean, saucers are like they've been around a while. Yeah, there's actually a bird that comes around my house sometimes, and it'll make flying saucer shapes in the dirt when it walks. So I think it's trying to tell me something. Maybe the chickens are in the yard next door. Also, they seem that they're always just doing these little lines with their claws. And mm-hmm. some people say they're trying to eat, but I'm pretty sure they're telling me something. Maybe they are aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so back. Come back up to the modern day a little bit. These things really, these stories really start blowing up around 1947, uh, right after World War II. And right, this is like Cold War starts up, I think in 1947 is when Mm, it kind of like officially kicks off. Mm -hmm. 
And the stories start exploding, beginning with this guy named Kenneth Arnold, who was a pilot and sheriff's deputy. And I think he even had some other titles that kind of give him, you know, you kind of want to like authority figure, prestige, blah, 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 things that give him credibility. Mm. And so he's up flying his plane and spots what he calls crescent shapes. And they, they're kind of like crescent moons, but they have a, where there's the negative space, there's kind of a point in there. And he went to the media about it and wanted to like let everyone know about it, etc. So did he, so he saw these flying crescent shapes mm -hmm. and were they kind of upright? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like Mm -hmm. the the dish was on the side. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, I think so. My, I've, I've run into so many UFO stories the last few days that it's kind of hard for me to keep track of like (laughs) which orientation (laughs) they fly in and whose account. But, um, I saw some illustrations and they did seem to be sideways like that, but who knows, man. Yeah. Um, so that kind of was one of the first big high media ones. Same year. 1947, the Roswell incident occurred. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Russia has demanded... Wasn't this also a balloon? Well... We'll we'll see, right? Okay. But like at the time, this one kind of was the first one that made me really curious mm, okay. about. Hey, wait, maybe something really is going on on here because there was a lot of suspicious stuff that happened about it. First of all, it wasn't just one person's account. It happened near a town, and a lot of people witnessed it. Mm. Uh, at least witnessed the wreckage, and a lot of people witnessed military trucks cl- coming rather immediately and cleaning up the debris into trucks and shipping it away. In the meantime, General Ramey describes the object as being of flimsy construction, almost like a box type. He says that it was so battered that he was unable to determine whether it had a disc form, and he does not indicate its size. Ramey says that so far as can be determined, no one saw the object in the air, and he describes it as being made of some sort of tinfoil. Other Army officials say that further information indicates that the object had a diameter of about 20 to 25 feet, and that nothing in the apparent construction indicated any capacity for speed, and that there was no evidence of a power plant. The disc also appeared too flimsy to carry a man. Now, back to Taylor Grant in New York. And so it was obvious that, I mean, whoever crashes anything is going to go clean it up. But um, they were like, even the rubble was classified. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you know anything about secret military projects, of course, like, they don't want anything, any info of any kind getting out about it. But um, the when the wreckage was found... The way the story goes, wreckage was found, or the crash was seen, and then people notified the Air Force, essentially, and said, hey, this is weird, you know, come check this out. So it sounded, from that narrative, it, it seems like the public noticed it, told the military, then the military came, and it was in this like high-action response. Mm. Um, 
so guys that's roswell in a very very small nutshell <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna come back around to that there's some more kind of high profile stories there's people betty and barney hill in 1961 they're in the northeast somewhere new england and they were driving along the road one evening and they see a really fast moving light near the moon and jupiter and it's moving in ways that isn't like a falling star they say it's changing directions quickly and so they decide to pursue it and they're driving through it always a smart choice yep, of course <laughs> they pursue it and of course they pursue it through a remote like forested road this yeah. is like i'm having flashbacks from the x-files like yeah. already <laughs> yeah and they claim that it got closer and it had multicolored lights and was spinning and was about 60 feet wide and their car started to vibrate and the next thing they know they show up they're back in their they're in their car just 35 miles down the road and they're kind of fuzzy headed they can't account for the last whatever amount of time had passed and so logically they must have been abducted. Yeah. Have Did, you ever been driving your car and you're like thinking about something and then you're like, kind of like come to and you're like, oh man. How, like, whoa. <laughs> how did I cover those last 35 miles? No, I've never done it for 35 miles, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. There are these kind of troubling lapses in yeah. your conscious awareness yeah. where you wonder, you know, if you'd done anything dangerous yeah. during that time. No, not to poo-poo Betty and Barney because they... That probably happened, you know? Who knows? If if Betty and Barney disappear in the woods and then reappear 35 miles down the road and no one saw it, did it happen? <laughs> That's kind of the crux of a lot of these stories, isn't it? <laughs> um, another super high-profile dude is Bob Lazar, who I just watched an interview on him recently, actually, but let's get to the basics on him. Yeah. He was the first... He really put Area 51 on the map, and he came much later um, in 1989. Which blew my mind. I I guess I had assumed that Area 51 was kind of general knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, my silly assumption was like maybe back in the 50s or the 60s right, right, people right. started talking about it, and I had no idea that it really wasn't in yeah. common parlance until 1989. Right. Well, UFO lore does go back that far. Sure. Right? And you and I were born in the mid-80s, and mm -hmm. so 89, we were small children when it became part of the common parlance, right? Yeah. And so... We just didn't know, but like it was kind of, and maybe there was even, there was probably more buzz around it when we were kids. Yeah, I'm sure it was a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, t timing wise, the X-Files first started doing shows in 1993, ah, only okay. four years after. And it, right. like I had always figured X-Files was like way after any big developments in UFO stuff, but it was like fairly recent afterwards. I'm sure, you know, it probably... Had oh, some yeah. inspirational effect on the creation of the show. Oh, Matt, we have Bob Lazar to thank, truly, yes. <laughs> for the finest television of the 90s. Yeah, so this guy's interesting. He claims that he worked at Area 51 as a scientist, and he was tasked with re reverse engineering a, the spaceship drive of a spaceship that they had acquired. Um, wow. And they called this a field propulsion, propulsion craft. 
A local scientist who says he worked at Groom Lake and saw the saucers joins us in tonight's interview. He has asked that his identity be shielded. Sir, how do we know you are who you say you are and that you actually have knowledge about what's going on at Groom Lake? Well, I guess there's no way you could really know. Uh, uh, there's really no way I could prove it without revealing my identity and getting myself into more trouble than I have already. Exactly what's going on up there? Well, there's several, uh, actually nine uh, flying saucers, flying discs, uh, that are out there of extraterrestrial origin, and they're being test flown and uh, uh, basically just analyzed. You say there's nine saucers. How, how are those tests going? Uh, as far as what? As far as whether they're successful and, and, and that sort of thing. Oh, well, some of them are 100% intact and operate perfectly. Uh, the other ones are being taken apart. Uh, I was involved mainly in, in propulsion and the power source. Where, where did we get these saucers? Uh, how did they come into the hands of the government? I haven't the slightest idea, and uh, you have to understand the information is very compartmentalized, and uh, I was only allowed information that pertained particularly to what I was involved in. But I mean, couldn't, couldn't our government have made them as opposed to getting them from some alien beings? Totally impossible. Uh, the propulsion system is an, uh, a gravity propulsion system. The power source is an antimatter reactor. Uh, this technology does not exist at all. In fact, one of the reasons that I'm going forward with this information, it's uh, not only a crime against the American people, it's a crime against the scientific community, which I've been part of for some time, or actively trying to duplicate these systems, yet they are in existence now and basically in the hands of the government. Let's just take a moment okay. to stop and acknowledge the gravity of what he's talking about. Yeah. So he claims to have been working on literally like an alien alien propulsion drive deconstruction project. Mm -hmm. That's yep. a fairly strong claim. Right. And he got hired to do it. Like, it, it sounded like they kind of threw him into it. Like, he hadn't been a career military person. He was like a civilian engineer. And he has a lot of cool engineering feats under his belt. So he has some cred okay. as a scientist. And he knows his way around electronics and things like this. He, his hobby was building rocket cars earlier in life. Hmm, okay. You know, so he does some cool stuff. Um, you know, he's clearly technically capable. And, of course... You know, when he makes these claims, nobody at in the government will acknowledge that he ever worked for them. <laughs> and furthermore, and and this is where we start. Before I maybe I dig into it too much, you know, instantly we're we're gonna start talking about him and identifying qualities that he has that either bolster his credibility or undermine it. Sure. Right. And it's like it's just how this game is played, right? And when you have a personal testimony with no evidence, you have to find all these proxies or or ways of, of figuring out how trustworthy and credible this person is. Um, because the story on at face value is like pretty outstanding and absurd in, in a lot of ways. But yet, it plays into a lot of like the folklore around UFOs and things where there's going to be a group of people who are absolutely ready to believe it. Mm without qualification and then there's going to be people who need a little bit more you know maybe they'll judge his character and if he's they seem it seems like he's telling the truth then okay i'm on board and then there's people who just need the hard evidence right 
and yeah um pictures or it didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i mean first of all as you say the claim claims that he's making are pretty astounding and it's a fun thing to think about that mm. somebody would have access to such a place and have that opportunity and that such a thing exists and what that would mean for the world. Um, and, and actually, I just watched a documentary on him that came out somewhat recently on Netflix. Uh, it's called like Bob Lazar, Area 51 and UFOs. And it was it was pretty much exactly what I wanted in the mm. sense that it had a lot of personal interviews with Bob Lazar. Mm. And that's one of the beautiful things about the timing of, of his testimony, even though it was the 80s, which is 30 years ago now, in 89, it was that it's at a time where he's still accessible and it was a media rich time where there were plenty of interviews from him back then, I believe. Mm. And there's plenty okay. of interviews from him around now. Um, and so it's nice when you're on the quest to kind of look into somebody and see if they do seem credible. There's plenty of material there that can kind of serve that purpose. Mm where you can get a sense of, okay, how does this person talk? Do they seem self-important? Do they seem like they have something to prove? Do they have a chip on their shoulder? How level-headed and rational do they seem? Mm. You know, just kind of try to get an emotional read on them. And I didn't really get any red flags in mm. that sense Okay, from Bob Lazar. Which was kind of cool. Like he seemed like a credible scientist. He's yeah. I mean, I don't. I can't say anything about his science, but he seemed like I think, like I said, self-importance wasn't like ringing high for me. Okay. It's like he was like, "Look, this isn't. I'm not. I don't really like talking about this because it's been a really hard part of my life, mm. and you know. But it's it's something that happened, and if you want to talk about it, like we can talk about it. But like. You know, kind of like that. Yeah, like, yeah. he's not like knocking people's doors down to like tell them, even though he right. probably, he, you know, he more or less did at the outset in 89. Yeah. And you can see actually a difference in his energy and character between now and then, oh, okay. which I find interesting too. Cause he was a little bit more bright eyed, of course, back then. Maybe yeah. that's an age thing, but or, and maybe it was he was still naive enough to think that maybe this was going somewhere bigger, which I, in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways it hasn't, right? Yeah. Let's just listen to a quick clip here from Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers on Netflix. My name's Bob Lazar. I'm known for working at a classified base known as S-4 out in the Nevada desert near Area 51. And there we reverse engineered alien spacecraft. And it's changed my life a lot. You know, it's probably changed every aspect of it. Positive or negative? Well, for the most part, negative. I mean, I it's really difficult to find positive aspects of that. I mean, I'm sure there are some here and there, but most of them were, were negative. Well, I just, I find it interesting that he originally disclosed and the original interview that he did around this stuff 
that was broadcast on television, he was actually hooded, so his identity correct was hidden. Yeah, which lends a little bit of credence to me that he's not necessarily just some narcissist. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I don't know the details of how his identity became revealed, but um, yeah. So the the documentary kind of goes through. It starts off with a rather neutral tone, and then. By the end, I'm pretty convinced the directors are like trying to get people on board <laughs> okay. with right. the kind of like, you know, believe that's too bad, which I mean, you know, whatever it's, it, they weren't too heavy handed about it, but, um, it's, I, it was kind of clear to me that the, the filmmakers either believe themselves that his stories are truthful or wanted the audience to believe that, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's no, there's no evidence that he could present. But he has a lot of these really interesting, I suppose, concepts about the 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 drive technology that he was working on with the spaceship that apparently can distort space time. Wow! And create gravity waves. And like already, I'm lost. Yeah. Right. In terms of like my knowledge of physics, I've heard about gravitational waves. Like we have. Mm laboratories on in different plates on the planet that are very large and they're designed to detect gravitational waves that pass mm. through the planet but they mm. happen they're like planet scale stuff mm-hmm. that passes through the planet very occasionally as a result of some cosmological occurrence like a supernova or something like that and so i'd heard of gravitational waves but not on this sort of scale where you know you could create them with element 115 that's a thing right right so he was talking about how they were using this at at the time undiscovered or unclassified element 115 correct right which was later synthesized and named moscovium that's right okay yep yeah 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 so that's you know it is kind of interesting that he was at that time talking about uh, I, does, does that lend credence to what he was talking about, in your opinion? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not that fact by itself. Yeah. Because it's just, it's like, we had, I don't know how many elements had been discovered at that time, but it was probably like the 112th element or something had been discovered by 1989. So he was just like throwing Exactly. Out it's just number. like, well, hmm, <laughs> I deduce that there's going to be another three elements. Like, okay. Sure. <laughs> Nobel Prize. Um, so that, that wasn't any like great leap of the imagination. Yeah. But there actually are some interesting things about that element. Um, I mean, all elements that have that high of an atomic number are very unstable. Mm, right. The low, the the high, the element with the highest number of protons that is stable, natural and naturally occurring is uranium, okay. that has ninety two protons. Element one fifteen has one hundred and fifteen protons. So there's like a lot of space there where there's a bunch of like really unstable elements that are mostly created in particle accelerators and like really expensive laboratories around the world. And they ex- they have half lives of like fractions of a second. Right. So you okay. create them, and then they instantly fling themselves apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of them. It has a, the most stable form of it has a half life of 0.67 seconds. Okay. So it doesn't hang around long enough to like put in your spaceship and. <laughs> yeah, it does lead me to wonder on what level 
uh, Bob Lazar himself was working with Element 115 when he was doing sure. his tests. Now, so there's a claim. People, he said back in his initial interviews when he was whistleblowing that he actually has some of the element. And that's still, it's speculated that he does. Okay, who knows? But an interesting thing that happened in the documentary was that he his house was raided by the FBI. Like during uh. the, they didn't get that on film, but it was during the time that the video, the, the movie was being made that he was raided. Oh, so recently. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. And so that was interesting. Um, I think they had some excuse, like they were looking for some document related to something else entirely. And, um, you know, on, and, like, just, we, just a routine FBI raid. It, but and there's like, <laughs> like, according to them, there were like 30 plus agents from like four different agencies, you know, uh, and like going through his computers and things like that. But yeah. Um, another cool thing about element 115, and this actually does lend a little more credence to it, is that it's theorized to be on what's called the Island of Stability. Mm. And the the Island of Stability refers to this area of a graph that just on the x-axis, there's protons, and you're just counting those. And then on the y-axis, you're counting neutrons. And those are the two things that are in the nucleus of an atom. Mm. And generally, they just kind of like slope up together. The more protons you have, the more neutrons you have. And so it's just this kind of like collection of elements and their isotopes organized along this chart. And there's a particular number of neutrons that um, these unstable elements can have at at that higher level. And there's a small grouping of them around 115 where if they have the right number of neutrons, they're stable and they don't have these really short half-lives. Okay. Now, as far as I know, this island of stability is still kind of a theoretical thing and hasn't really been been proven yet, but it seems to have some like quasi-strong theoretical mm. basis. That's and so compelling. I find that interesting. All right. Score one point, Bob Lazar. Yeah. 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 Yep. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely... I'm a little less skeptical of him now than I was at when you first brought him up. So mm-hmm. you're yeah. less skeptical. Less skeptical. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe five percent less skeptical than I was mm-hmm. before. I'm trying to think yeah. if I can score any more points for Bob here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, he just published a book. That feels like if he had published a book back in 1990, yeah, it would have taken points away, but. If I had been a highly public person for something I had, some some story I broke or something I told the world, mm-hmm. and that had been part of my legacy for the last 30 years of my life, and I'm in my 70s or whatever he is in, I'd probably want to, like, do a memoir, you know? Yeah. I think he's maybe in his 60s, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think sometimes when people do, like, a publicity thing in a book, I'm like, mm, like, yeah, sure, you have this big idea, but, like, what are you in it for? Right. And so, yeah. I don't I don't think I'm going to sling mud in this case. I don't know. Yeah, he's, it's it's been a respectful amount of time, right? Totally. No one could say it was too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair game, Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Yeah, go watch, maybe watch some of his videos and... You know, it's kind of a judge of character thing at this point, and yeah. whether you you buy into his theories of physics and gravitational drives. Oh, one more thing about the gravity drive because I find this kind of cool is it's able to 
bends space-time in a way that it basically creates gravity in front of the they call uh, it like gravity amplifiers or okay, something of the spaceship so it like pulls itself along yeah 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 that's pretty sweet mm-hmm. so it just creates this like artificial gravity in, <laughs> in front of itself and so because of that it does it out of the, what we would normally call the bottom of a flying saucer mm-hmm. and so he said when they fly they actually fly sideways ah. yeah so the saucer's saucer's like on its end okay instead of lying flat mm-hmm. so is it more accurate to say then that they're falling than that they are flying? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, what is falling other than just flying towards a gravitational pull, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear would say falling with style. Falling with style. Yeah. <laughs> well played. I don't know. Is that enough UFO stories? Let's let's talk about... Yeah. I want to circle back to Betty and Barney. Okay. Because when I first heard that story, I was like, meh. Like, I don't really see any reason not to believe this account. Um, but it turned out that there was an Outer Limits episode that had, like, a lot of the same details as their account, like, two weeks before they supposedly got abducted. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, yeah, that show, first of all, respect... Because that's like in 1961, you know, and then um, she they 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 also had been like read. She had um, Betty had read a book about abduction and conspiracies around that recently as well. And so this was it wasn't like out of the blue in terms of Mm -hmm. their mental space. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, They weren't just like corn farmers in the middle of Idaho, just minding their own business. mm -mm. (laughs) No. So who knows? Um, it's interesting to me why they would want to create that story, or why, why would they would come out with that. But mm. um, you know, fame, fortune, etc. You just kind of go to the normal places mm-hmm. for that kind of motivation. Mm-hmm. But can only speculate. Um, back to Roswell. Yeah, this is actually more interesting because of the number of witnesses that were involved originally with the cleanup project and also with facts that came out much, much later in 1997 when the government disclosed that the wreckage, they actually, like, closed this story up, right? And they said, oh, yeah, that. That was um, actually a a type of balloon. At the time, they said it was a weather balloon in 1947. 1997, they say, oh, yeah, that was actually... um, part of a nuclear surveillance program. So 1947, we're getting really concerned about the Soviets and Mm, nuclear bombs. Got it. And they, I don't know if the Russians had detonated one by that point, but it was right around that time. So we were aware that they were developing nuclear technology and either were about to or had already detonated bombs. And we wanted to know how many bombs, with what frequency they're blowing up, how big are they, et cetera, as much as possible. And a lot of 
Area 51's history is actually around that exact dynamic of the mm. U.S. developing technology to deal with the Cold War, to develop surveillance programs and spy planes and stuff like that in order to um, learn about the Soviets. So anyway, this project that it, this, in fact, was was called Project Mogul. And it was a high-altitude balloon project that had a bunch of fancy gear attached to these balloons that would um, detect nuclear explosions through the atmosphere. And maybe they had some, like, Geiger counters or something up there on it. Mm. I don't know the details. But mm-hmm. it they it was a kind of a failed program. It was This was in its test phase, and they ended up using uh, seismometer and other fallout readings instead of this project. But mm. um, that's interesting that... They did kind of say like, oh, yeah, that that's what this was. Because um, there's so many stories where you just, the government never says anything about it. Like, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> or we're not going to tell you. Yeah. Or, yeah, go ahead and believe it was aliens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it's funny that um, hot air balloons feature so heavily in the history of UFOs. Mm. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, it kind of charms me. It's like mm. centuries later, we're still crash landing hot air balloons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, at some point, some alien civilization's going to show up and their spaceship's going to look like a hot air balloon. <laughs> and everyone's just going to write it off. You know, it's going to crash land in some small town and, oh. you know, in Europe or something. And people are just going to write it off. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) So, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of the end of the section on personal testimonies. Mm -hmm. And it's just a personal thing that everyone has to navigate in life. It's like when someone tells you something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, doesn't really match up with your current model of how things go. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that they say that's going to make you believe them? And what's going to make you discredit them? And there's a lot of just classic stuff. Like if someone's dressed well and they look well adjusted and they're prestigious and they have some authority mm-hmm. role, it's like, like your boss or who knows, mm-hmm. or it's a priest. They have all kinds of stories that people would believe, you know? And yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, we all have to navigate that. And it's pretty hard to do in their second, when you hear it on the internet or you read about it. And then from there, you're always just trying to find as much information as you can. And that's the one of the most maddening parts of this process is you hear a testimonial Mm. and then you start instantly looking for these cues. Mm. But like, okay, how can I judge whether or not this person is trustworthy? And if it's an account that's 70 years old and all you have is like really short biographies Mm -hmm. and some little bit of detail about their story, you'd you'd be a total fool to believe it. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying they should automatically be discredited, but I, it's like impossible for me to meet that kind of stuff without a high degree of skepticism. So, yeah, no, I, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Well, and you know, especially with research that's been done on, um, these basically false memories, right. Right. That that people have come up with uh, these, uh, fabricated stories, uh, mm-hmm. based on who knows where they come from. Yeah. You know, it becomes even harder to distinguish. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, I feel like we've had a number of episodes now that kind of dance around this notion of what is real, 
mm-hmm. and what is reality and what what do we hold as the litmus test for reality mm-hmm. right and um i think you're right it's it's a question that ultimately each one of us has to decide for ourselves is where do i draw the line what evidence do i demand mm-hmm. before i will start to believe that something is true or false mm-hmm. um i think where it becomes interesting is when a person will have an experience in their own life which seems to stretch credibility mm. which will then mm. send them on a journey of discovery of like wow did that really happen to sure. me can i believe what i think happened to me ah. and you know i wonder i wonder how many of the these so-called alien abductees have this kind of crisis of faith or mm. like wow well i remember it happening i have these physiological tells that it happened mm-hmm. seems implausible but there you go mm-hmm. i think i also wonder if people who have those sorts of experiences become much more sympathetic Mm. and open to other very bizarre stories from other people sure that are equally hard to believe sure right yeah i mean you know i've had a number of kind of crazy things happen in my lifetime which stretch credibility this is, this is your time to 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 just, to just air those. shine them out <laughs> to just shine them out right i mean i'll uh you know to to quote to quote the late Rutger Hauer playing Roy Batty in oh. Blade Runner, he says, "I've seen things you people wouldn't believe," and yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to recognize Rutger Hauer. Um, he died recently. Uh, what was the date? Damn. Was it July nineteenth? Yes. Yeah. This is really wild. So we we had literally just recorded an episode in which we reference his performance in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And I was actually editing that segment of the podcast during the time that he died. And I didn't even know mm-hmm. that he had passed away. Yeah. I just stumbled upon that today in the news. Yeah. And was like, oh, whoa, when did Arjuna publish the show? Because I knew we had recorded yeah. And talked about it and you were going to include that segment. And then yeah. I saw that he had passed and was like, well, that is really uncanny timing. And of course, the quote we include in that segment is about him, like his character dying and talking about death. Yes. So it's really bizarre. <laughs> like yeah. my hair kind of like stood up I a know. little. Like, it kind of makes me feel spooky, right? Yeah. So that's just one example of these things that can happen in your life where maybe it's a coincidence mm-hmm. or... Maybe there's some property at work that we're not really familiar with, you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't, it's the kind of thing where I don't like to go too deep into speculation around something that's ultimately unprovable. Mm -hmm. But I do... um, That's interesting, though, why we don't do that. Sure. Right? Sure. Because, like, I instantly, I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. And when you talk, when like, we're talking about, oh, it's a weird coincidence and, like... Like nebulous, like maybe, like maybe something deeper to that. Yeah. And then we're like, but maybe not. You know, like <laughs> we back off right away. First of all, because I don't have any theories on what would be at work there. But yeah. second of all, I think it's scary to ask people to believe something unconventional. Sure. Because sure. of what it can do to your own credibility. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's it. There's there is there's the burden of proof, right? That everybody has to be able to furnish, and and everyone has their own bar for how much proof they need to see before they'll believe something. I think people get a little bit gleeful in their skepticism,、mm. or they get a little heavy-handed with their reality totally, hammer. Totally, totally, totally. You know, and、yeah. it's like whack-a-mole. It's like they just want to smash it all. Yeah. And I just really want to caution people around that because it is that very, the very openness of mind, which allows someone to entertain. The existence of ghosts, for example, is the same openness of mind. I would argue that allows someone to entertain humans flying or、mm-hmm. humans reaching out to space. Let's just let's just make this a safe space, Arjuna, to do that. Okay, <laughs> so okay. it's like because I'm realizing like these beliefs they have a huge role that they play in our identity and sense of self. Yeah, and also in how obviously other people view us. Yeah, right, and so. If I suddenly and I've been talking to people about UFO at parties because I think it's funny, yeah, and because I've been curious about it and been wanting to learn. So like I've been asking people at parties, like, so like, tell me about your first like UFO UFO abduction, you know, and like it's <laughs> <laughs> like try to like create that safe space for people to share their stories. And、yeah. but it's kind of a funny idea to think about. You know what? We can just kind of like decide to believe things. And、sure. we can turn that on and off, and so it's fun to think like, you know what? I could say I want to believe, or I can just decide, like, you know what?、Um, what's the month coming up? August. August is the month I'm going to believe in aliens. All right, and I'm、okay. just going to go for it. It's just going to become to like it. it's part of my worldview now. Yeah, I need to figure out like how they fit, and I'm going to talk to people like I believe in aliens, etc. And we'll just see kind of like how that goes, and then. September comes around, I can go back to my normal skeptical self. <laughs> I like it. It'd be interesting because we have that ability. <laughs> yeah, we could we could pronounce August annual no skepticism month. Yes, right. I like it. Everyone can just pick one or more ideas they've been、I'm、skeptical about. I'm gonna adopt the keto diet, <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know anything about the keto diet. I'm not actually skeptical about that. I'm just saying, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adopt the keto diet. Believe in aliens.、Um, become an airitarian. I can't do that while I'm on the keto diet. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I could spend the month believing various government explanations of things that I actually think were conspiracies. It can be that can be my、uh, national non-conspiracy、oh. month. <laughs> <laughs> can be like, oh yeah, yeah, the JFK assassination. Totally plausible official explanation. Yeah, going conventional on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Grassy knoll theory pans out.、Mm-hmm. I like the term "healthy skepticism"、mm. because I think it implies that you are employing your rational process even as you are employing your skeptical process, and I think that some people they just have this auto no. If MIT wouldn't teach it in one of their courses, right, or if Harvard wouldn't teach it in one of their courses,、mm. it's just not true.、Mm-hmm. Why that's happening? Yeah. Well, we live in Eugene, and like a lot, of, I know a lot of people who love plants. I personally don't. Whatever. And 
the there's this really commonly held belief at least in eugene i don't know if this happens i think it happens everywhere mm. people who love plants kind of have this belief that if you sing to your plant it'll help it thrive mm-hmm. yeah which i first of all i love that belief sure <laughs> i don't care if it's true but if it is it's great or if yeah. it isn't it doesn't matter either way you're singing yeah um and i there was actually a mythbusters episode that dealt with plants mm. and i don't remember if they did the singing bit but they did a bit where they put the plant in a room by itself still had light and all of that they would put a person on the other side of some glass and they would have them think like either really nice thoughts about the plant or really mean thoughts yeah <laughs> and they had all kinds of sensors connected to it and they actually measured results there was a correlation between the types of thoughts that the person was having and the readings they were getting on the plant. Wow. <laughs> wow. These guys need a Nobel Prize, okay? And, of course, that was, like, a small-scale experiment, and I guess, you know, someone should reproduce that. But mm-hmm. um, they, of course, expected to totally bust this myth. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, they left it at plausible. But, of course, they wouldn't go to confirmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, yeah, why why don't people follow up on stuff like that? Oh, I'm sure people have. I haven't followed up on it, but yeah. Okay, here's here's another question I have. This might be an ignorant question, all right? But just bear with me here. Okay. (laughs) All right, so people talk about the placebo effect. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. It's almost always portrayed in this kind of discrediting way. So they'll say, for example, we did this study, half of the tests took the medicine, and the other half took placebos Mm -hmm. and there was a certain percentage of people who got better taking the placebos and it was oh it was just because of the placebo effect okay but like has anyone just stopped and thought about the fact that humans just by believing things can get better oh yeah right yeah like why isn't more research going into this Right? Why aren't more people going to like placebo clinics mm-hmm. where they get given sugar pills mm-hmm. and that, you know, I don't know. It's like, oh, why aren't people, why aren't we researching why and how people can do that? Yeah. How they can just make themselves better with the power of belief. And Exactly. And what's funny is when we talk about the placebo, we almost, I would say, just a placebo. Just a placebo. Right? And it's yeah. so cool that it works <laughs> that you're totally right. Like, and I've been thinking about that too. And I think yeah. people have been working on that. Basically, how do we leverage that effect? Because it's a lot cheaper than drugs. It's sure With is. no side effects, mm-hmm. right? Or so many other types of treatment. And um, if we could leverage that. In fact, you know, and this is maybe just, it's an off-the-cuff association. And in, in no way is meant to undermine or, or mean any disrespect toward um like indigenous populations or any any group of peoples that mm-hmm. had like medicine men and things like that because they were actually using herbal medicines first of all yes so they had a lot of basis but i feel like there were a lot of ceremonies and things like that as well um and ritual and you know, practice things you would say do that would go along with the healing process mm-hmm. and that that probably was what we call, and I almost want a new word for it, because the placebo effect just sounds so cheap and like it does. When I call it a placebo effect, it seems it takes away from the cool power of it, right? Yeah. So yeah, pe- people were we could, actually. Let's just call it magic. Sure. 
the the <laughs> magical candy land of Does that work? I don't know if that works. <laughs> <laughs> but I I no, you're right. It's like again, so much has been discredited throughout the ages as just being superstition. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a much deeper topic. But but I'm with you. It's like. Many people have done things throughout the ages which have had measurable effects, which maybe worked along axes such as the placebo effect, Mm -hmm. uh, which were really creating these measurable outcomes. Mm -hmm. And again, the fact that the mechanism by which that works isn't fully understood, I don't think should be used as a reason to discredit them, especially if the outcomes are measurable. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Huh, so. whoa. Like, huh. Just got dark here, and there's this weird... Do you see that, like, little flash, Arjuna? Huh. This, like, flicker coming, coming through the blinds. Oh, whoa, that's actually kind of hurts in my eyes. Oh, man. Whoa, whoa. Dude. whoa. Hey. Wow. Actually... Oh, it's in the room. What? It's like see through my hands. Um, dude. I can see the pizza... I ate in my belly, and I'm I'm not touching the floor anymore. Man. This show is sponsored by Megan Brandenburg Design, your brand illuminated. Does your project or business need a more cohesive visual identity? Do your marketing materials need pizzazz? Megan is your go-to. She also offers apparel design, product packaging design, and motion graphics. Megan worked with us to design the Listening Glass logo, and we love the stunning result. Megan is on Instagram at Megan Brandenburg Design. Find the full link in the episode description. All right, we're back from break, and uh, I had to clean up this weird mess. There's like a yeah. ball of digested pizza on my floor. I'm not sure what that was about, but... Um, Gross. Anyway, uh, we got kind of off track back there. Pineapple on pizza. I'm a really? little fuzzy headed after all of that talk we were doing about placebos <laughs> and stuff, but um, I think we were, we should probably talk a little bit more about what we actually know about Area 51 before we go storm yeah. it and whatnot. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, Area 51. I was astonished to discover that although it has been talked about widely since 1989, the nobody in the government even acknowledged the existence of Area 51 until 2013. Mm. So that's that's kind of mind-blowing to think about, about how there's this well-publicized place mm-hmm. that looms large in the minds of people, and everybody knows it's there, mm-hmm. and the government's just like... We're not saying shit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so yeah, so what happened was um, there was a, a request using the Freedom of Information Act in 2005. Uh, someone kind of uh, used this act to make an inquiry about Area 51. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, let's talk about this place. What actually is Area 51? It's a United States Air Force facility, and it's located within the, the sorry the Nevada Test and Training Range. And so it's in Nevada. It's actually not too far from Las Vegas. And uh, the facility is is actually called 
by the military. It's either called Homie Airport, and it's airport uh, initials are KXTA, or hmm. it's also named Groom Lake. Right. And so this is because there was some silver mining, kind of some uh, uh, precious metals mining that was going on here in the 1800s. Okay. And uh, a, a person named Groom actually purchased this area of land. And so there was mining going on there for actually many, many decades. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so Area 51... There's actually, there hasn't been a satisfactory disambiguation about hmm. why the place is actually called Area 51. And that, like, can you actually draw a fence or, like, an, a line around what is Area 51? And, like, where does that end and begin versus the, like, test site or whatever that it's a part of? Well, it's it's not not only that, yeah, that, the, you know, no no civilian... I think really has a clear idea of what all is located on the site. Mm-hmm. But not only that, but the actual name, Area 51, nobody really knows where that name comes from. Mm. Now, there's a speculation that it's, uh, there's like a um, grid system that the US uses to annotate various different uh, interesting sites mm. or military sites. And that Area 51 was just one of those sites. Hmm. Um, people even speculate. Now, using that grid system, there aren't that many sites. And so people speculate that they chose Area 51. They chose the number 51 as kind of an arbitrarily large number, which was just like, oh, well, we're just going to pick this one. And hmm. they're not going to use, you know, we're, we're not going to get up to that number it could you know, maybe mean 1951 too. I mean, could be because it, it was a test site before that. Mm-hmm. But maybe they blocked off this part of it mm-hmm. at that time because it was originally a. They set it aside as a very top secret spot to start building and testing high tech, secretive aircraft. Yeah, that were meant for espionage. Right. Um. And this is where we get to fun rock and roll references. There's two of them. Okay. I'm really excited about. Lay it on me. Like, bo- like both these bands are like, they have a, a little place in my heart from mostly my teenage years. But, okay. Uh, the first is U2, which the U2 spy plane was developed by the CIA back then uh, to spy on the Soviets and to keep tabs on their development of nuclear weapons and just all things Soviet really. Um, so that's U2. And then in World War II, any UFOs that were sighted during the World II, World War II era by um, aviators, by fighter pilots and whatnot, were referred to as Foo Fighters. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And nice. it, I actually got kind of excited because during some reading, or maybe it was even the film about um, Bob Lazar, but they referenced a UFO sighting during a Foo Fighters concert. So it came like full circle and I was like, Oh, I got to see this. So I looked up footage and it was like really clearly just a meteor. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah, I was wah, kind of wah, let down. Wah. Yeah. I was hoping, you know, spinning saucer, multicolored lights. That's still, um, yeah. 
good to know the origin of the very best of you, Robin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so, okay. Well, wasn't there another rock and roll reference as well? You two, Foo Fighters. What I mean, B-52s the... is kind of a um, Cold <laughs> War thing, but I don't think it had anything to do with Area 51. What about the Blink-182 Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. someone actually mentioned this to me recently, and then I stumbled it across it in my internet, interneting, and uh, what's his name? It was like the former drummer. Tom DeLonge? Is, is that, that that's his it. name? That's yeah. it, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is getting kind of more to modern day, yeah. where there was this agency created in 2008 called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Senator from Nevada, Senator Harry Reid. Harry Reid had a friend, I guess his friend was in the UFOs, and it was also like an aeronautics dude. And his friend was really convinced that, you know, his senator buddy should like get some money allocated for research into testimonials and whatnot around ufo sightings so there was actually like 20 20 some million dollars thrown at this had the budget of that much for a few years until 2012 when it ran out of money and once that happened supposedly a lot of the resources from this organization got transferred or transitioned somehow into a nonprofit. are you ready for this name okay lay it on me <laughs> This nonprofit is called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. Okay? All right. So it just struck me as like really cheesy. Like <laughs> I think like I've helped design summer camps before, and like this would have been a great name for like a children's summer camp. Like <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't pass your credibility like an test? Academic or... summer camp or something? Yeah. But I don't know. To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, and apparently they're like quasi-investigative slash, like, entertainment business based around UFOs. And the guy from Blink-182, DeLonge, is, like, a key player in it. And I think he's even the interim CEO at the moment. Huh, okay. All right. From pop punk to UFO education. Yeah, I mean, you know... It's a pretty meteoric rise. It's a good, like, if you're gonna, like, punkness is always, like, it's got its roots in alternative everything you know so yeah yeah think for yourself question authority ufos man mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rock and roll <laughs> rock and roll <laughs> so let's talk for a moment about just how secretive area 51 has been now i feel like okay i either feel like area 51 is the most secret u.s military location or the most secretive u.s military location Mm -hmm. or it's just the most classified one that that the general public knows about right (laughs) Right? oh yeah no that's because who knows how many other locations there are that nobody knows yeah the event should be storm the base we don't know about like (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah show up in the middle of the utah desert and just (laughs) let's just go look for it yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so um but it is kind of legendarily secretive Mm -hmm. so for example um in 1974, there was uh, a thing that was called known as the Skylab incident. And uh, basically what happened was that there was this, um, there was like a satellite called the Skylab, which was taking pictures. And it inadvertently took pictures of Area 51. Hmm. 
And it, the CIA kind of took it personally mm-hmm. because they had specifically forbade Skylab 4 to take pictures of Area 51. How did no, they find out about it? Yeah, how did they find out about it? Um, they like came clean instantly like, oh shit. Oh, Sorry, yeah, CIA, well, <laughs> we totally took pictures of your secret base. Ooh. Yeah, I, I actually don't know. I don't yeah. know how that, okay. that kind of got through. Mm-hmm. This was, a, by the way, this was a, de- a memo that was written in 1974 that was declassified in 2006. So it's possible that the details of it were actually red acted. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of funny because it highlights this thing that is probably happening constantly between government agencies you know, where like some astronauts like, hey, here are all the pictures that we took. And then the government's like, we told you not to, <laughs> we told you not to take pictures of this one specific location. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, it's like an angry <laughs> parent, you know. Like, you guys, what? come on, we talked about this. Johnny, what did I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because they... They specifically highlighted that this was the only place on Earth that Skylab 4 was instructed to not take pictures of. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I mean, so it's a secret base, but one of the main purposes of it that we know of is to develop aircraft. Yeah. So you can park an aircraft in a hangar and you can't take pictures of it from the sky anymore. But anytime that plane is taking off and landing or in that vicinity... You're going to be able to get pictures of it. You can see it from space. Which isn't true if you're doing like experimental nuclear physics in a basement. Totally. Right? So there's lots of other top secret stuff the government might be doing, but most of it just isn't exposed to air. Sure. Right? Yeah, sure. So it could Mm -hmm. just be that one of the reasons that's so secretive about it is that there's like visible from the ground, visible from space, visible from a distance, things happening there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, Mm -hmm. which is a really good point. Um, now they are, you know, they, they take their security very seriously. So like, for example, they, it, it's declared as permanently off limits to both civilian and normal military air traffic. Mm-hmm. So like even just your average military jet is not allowed to fly over there, mm-hmm. which really interested me. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. They and they actually have signage around the base of the perimeter, which advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Mm-hmm. And they have a security force that patrol in white pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually this this hasn't been confirmed in an official statement, but there's a lot of speculation that it's actually a subcontracting group. Uh, uh, yeah, I would bet. Yeah. Yeah. But these people, so just, you know, um, for any of you Area 51 stormers out there, just be advised that these people are actually authorized to shoot you if they want to. Mm -hmm. And so this just goes in general for anyone who might be interested in getting too close to Area 51. Who knows what would actually happen if you tried. But I would take seriously the fact that there's signage and, and very well publicized um, statements basically saying we can and we will shoot you if we feel like mm-hmm. it. So that, that's that's some pretty heavy-handed verbiage mm-hmm. right there. So um, so anyway, it's just it's kind of like this area really is the the secretest of all publicly known 
places that the United States, um, you know, there's one of these bases that the United States owns. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason why it has developed this reputation mm-hmm. of being, you know, like, like anything nefarious or anything experimental or basically oh, anything oh, whatsoever exactly. that you can imagine has been attributed to be happening. Right. There. It's a secret place that we know about and therefore anything we suspect the government might be doing behind closed doors, we can suspect that they're doing it there. Yeah, right. totally. And we can imagine a lot of things about what they might be doing there. Yeah, right. definitely. So that's, that's the thing about secrecy. And it's interesting to see how the CIA and other government agencies have used secrecy and what people do with their imaginations and kind of to their advantage to mm. blur any facts that people might actually know about it. Yeah. Right? So, for example, if I was a secret government agency and I was flying a super new secret spy plane that I didn't want anyone to know about ever, Yeah. and somebody said, hey, by the way, I saw a UFO last night, and it happens to correspond to the time that your secret spy plane took off, and this keeps happening. Mm-hmm they probably aren't going to go out of their way to tell you, no, there's no way that couldn't have been a UFO because it's really convenient for them for you to believe that. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And we see this a lot. There's this kind of like strategic deceit or um, misdirection. And oftentimes it's passive. They just say nothing. Yeah. And they let people continue to believe whatever conclusions they've come to. But there are some interesting early on stories of, um, government agencies, not and on maybe it's sometimes an official capacity. There's this really funny anecdote where they were f- um, test flying one of the very first jets down in the Mojave Desert, and there's there were two um, bases that were near each other. Um, one of them was flying this like top secret jet, and then another one was flying this old like propeller bomber. It wasn't old by the time standard. It was like the standard bomber. This was like 1942 or 44. Jet technology is just taking off. And so most pilots don't really even know about this stuff. And they always expect a plane to have propellers on it. And so whenever they flew this experimental aircraft, knowing they might be spotted by other pilots and people, they would actually put mock propellers propellers on it. That's hilarious. (laughs) On the front. And for some, I don't know what made. There's a certain pilot who started this trend where, because that when they're up in the air, um, pilots flying the conventional propeller plane would actually sometimes come near the jet craft to get us to better get a better look at it because it mm. had other strange things about it, like it had a smoke trail, which mm. wasn't normal for propeller planes, mm. and the, maybe the smoke trail was actually generated to obfuscate any like the jet exhaust or something sure. behind. I'm not really sure, sure. but. They would get close, and this this was funny to the jet pilot. So what they would do sometimes is they would leave the propellers off, and oh. they would put on a gorilla mask, <laughs> and then fly close to the curious pilots and the other military craft. Wow! And so the they would do it so that they could get a clear look. So the other the the guy would land his plane. He'd go back to base. He'd go to the bar. And he'd tell all of his pilot buddies, like, guys, you'll never guess what I saw. First of all, (laughs) I saw a plane that didn't have any propellers. 
Second of all, it was being flown by a gorilla. Like, <laughs> so the the propellerless plane is like by itself. Maybe like military pilots at the time maybe had some idea that that was possible. Yeah, and that could have been a plausible thing. Yeah, but when you add the gorilla on top of it, it's totally unbelievable at this point. And that was such a simple subterfuge, right? Or yeah. such a simple way to throw the truth off, truth off track and make someone have this incredible story right. and people of course like start questioning their own sanity and things so the story just doesn't make sense <laughs> right yeah it really is relatively easy i mean even if you look at how easy it is to throw an election using social media right mm. that's just kind of a modern example but yeah people have been shaping the public's perception for years in very sophisticated ways mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I i do think it is very interesting i think Something that interests me about this whole thing is like, I love how there's this very plausible explanation, which is Area 51 is an Air Force base that tests top secret aircraft that it doesn't want anyone to know about, right? And that that's just like, that's probably true, right? Mm -hmm. That's just like, I don't know, 80, 90%. Yeah, that's what happens there, right? Mm -hmm done end of end of discussion but because there's just so many layers to this right because there's so many cultural layers to it we've we've exactly like you said we've successfully kind of thrown off the trail or successfully discredited any hope of the average person knowing what's going on there either way mm -hmm. and i just love how um it's like i love how sometimes the the simplest thing Be it's almost like people don't want to believe it because it's just too boring mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that really that really interests me yeah so okay so let's talk about <clears throat> now the average the the lay person if you will um this brings me back to this discussion of storm area 51 so how did this come about now um Speaking of Facebook and mass deception, this leads me into the concept of Robin. Are you familiar with what is known as shit posting? Um, <laughs> actually, there's a couple of possibilities in my mind. I don't okay. think I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Okay. Take take a stab at it. Okay. So shit posting. I I would think like bullshit. Like you yeah. just post really absurd stuff. Yeah. And just see if you can get people to react to it, like a yeah. form of trolling. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is that right? Well, it could be. Okay. Do you have any other any other Shit theories? Posting. It could also be posting. Uh, I don't know, like things that are kind yeah. of like meant to defame. Uh huh. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It. Have you ever considered that it could be the description for what happens if you actually take your feces and mail it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is a thing that has been done. Like you mail your feces to someone? Yeah. I thought we were talking about social media here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. Okay. No, so so yeah, so you're right. Yeah. Ship posting oh. is is <laughs> Shitposting is the practice of just posting utterly meaningless content, mm. which has no relevance to anything. And this is kind of a, it's a thing that has picked up steam more and more as the internet has proliferated. 
You know, we have these stories of like the the founding luminaries of the internet imagining that it's a place where information will be shared and it's this utopian ideal of how much smarter and better we're going to make the planet using this global technology and 90% of it ends up being, you know, cat photographs and shit posting. Hey, I wouldn't compare those two things. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll leave that to I'll leave the listeners' skepticism to determine. The cat, cat photos are a totally g- legit use of the internet. <laughs> that so is, I I would be surprised if Tim Berners Lee didn't have that as kind of one of the first five bullet points of oh, like oh, how this was going to benefit yeah. society. Okay, yeah. Bullet four: cat posting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But so so this this practice emerged of ship posting and it was basically just you would get these little um echo chambers on the internet various uh forums with 4chan being one of the notable examples reddit is another place and and facebook really where people will start these communities where the sole purpose is really to just post mindless silly jokes and there's this um what you could refer to as mimetic churn right well people refer to this as as memes as in meme mimetic mimetic wow right exactly (laughs) and so (laughs) you really made the meme highbrow here oh well yeah it's quite a concept yeah i mean the the meme didn't start on the internet that's for sure there's actually look Mm. look up the word meme there's a really interesting history to it which i'm not going to go into right now okay but um but there was this practice where somebody uh would take a joke and oftentimes it was just like some crummy recognizable image maybe from pop culture maybe it was just a a picture of someone making a funny face or maybe it was a cat even there have been many cat photographs that have turned into memes and then someone would write something silly on it and they'd post it in an internet forum just for the lols right okay and then what would happen is that people would take it and run with it and any anything which um achieves a certain amount of viralness will turn into a really recognizable internet meme. Okay. And then you'll be able to find hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of examples of this meme popping up. Wow. So it's basically this this large-scale global internet inside joke, mm. which is why, you know, one of the um one of the biggest wastes of time and one of the most boring things you can do on the internet is look at memes that you don't understand. <laughs> because they're just <laughs> these random collections of words but they kind of build out each other right there's yeah like they a genealogy do. there's like introductory memes but then like there's some memes you have to be well like well inducted in yes. order to be able to grasp them yeah. yeah you have these next level memes I, right i think and i'm you... definitely like a mediocre memer <laughs> yeah yeah your meme fluency is low it's like okay but it's not high yeah. I'm not like in the deep in the bowels of meme dumb. Yeah. 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 I'm I would give myself like a five percent meme awareness. Okay. Rating. Yeah. <laughs> so um so basically what happened was this happened very recently. Um early in July, the the anonymous administrators of a public Facebook meme page, which was called are you ready for the name of this page? This page was called Shit Posting Cause I'm in Shambles. 
was the name of this page. So real highbrow content. I have to say, like, my other guess for shit posting would have been things you put on Reddit, like, while you're pooping. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. There you go. Or on whatever platform. Yeah, Yeah. it's a rough approximation of the value of this stuff. Okay. So, um... (laughs) So anyway, so the administrators of this page shit posting because I'm in shambles. They teamed up with a Twitch video game streamer named Smiley Kun. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Twitch, it's a platform that people use to broadcast themselves playing video games. And this is actually one of the most popular forms of internet entertainment today. Mm-hmm. So it's rapidly catching up with television and movies and mm-hmm. and uh, YouTube as a viable source of entertainment. So they teamed up and they organized this event and it was called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. And it was just a total gag. And the idea was to drum up support for this event, which was supposed to be happening on September 20th. And so what the idea was... Oh, so it's still coming up. Yeah, it hasn't oh, happened yet. So at 3 p.m. Pacific time on September 20th, anyone and everyone was invited to show up at Area 51 in the middle of the Nevada desert and just storm in. And the tagline was, let's see them aliens. <laughs> so the idea was if there's enough of us who just mob Area 51... They're not going to be able to kill all of us. No. And we're going to be able to go in there and finally settle it once and for all what is happening in Area 51. So, And this um, this is being led by not a great visionary and seeker of truth, but by a college kid in shambles. Yeah, just some (laughs) some shit poster on this I actually saw a brief interview with him and he's just like yeah I don't know I had no idea it was gonna blow up this is kind of funny like (laughs) yeah so it went viral right like like many other things you hear about there's like you know for every 200,000 stupid jokes that get made on the internet one of them just catches I wonder if there's like any ringleader that's kind of risen to the occasion and is trying to like actual because the creator isn't gonna do that yeah. Right? It yeah. sounds like he's probably distancing himself from it. Maybe. And so I wonder if anything will actually come of it. I really hope not because I I don't think it would be successful in achieving what they want to. <laughs> well, um, so, okay, so this is interesting because it, so it started as a joke. They made a Facebook event for it. Mm-hmm. And as of now, there have been 1.9 million mm-hmm. people who have gone on this event and have confirmed that they're attending. Should I? I should do that right now. You should. You should go ahead and you should join it right now, Robin. Okay. So um, so basically, it started to pick up some steam and some people started to worry that this might actually happen. You know, it's like, ha, 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 this is a joke. But when two million people... Oh, no, there's like three of them. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's, there's duplicate pages oh, no. that you're looking at. Yeah. Where will you even find the original? Um, but so, so if you actually go to this event page, it's highly clear that there's just no possible serious plot to actually do this. I mean, there's just the silly images, diagrams posted with random people's names on them and arrows pointing at various things. People are being instructed to do the Naruto run. And this is a reference to the anime series Naruto, 
where people will actually run with their arms spread out behind them. It's almost like <laughs> like the human equivalent of an eagle diving. And this uh, people theorize that this actually makes you run faster and dodge. Wait, what does? Sorry, what makes you run faster? Naruto running. N- Naruto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how we, how we pronounce that. Yeah. So apparently it's supposed to help you dodge bullets. And so anyway, it's, it's a big joke. And to that effect, uh, one of the admins on this page even posted a statement saying, Hello, U.S. government. This is a joke, and I do not actually intend to go ahead with this plan. I just thought it would be funny and get me some thumbsy upsies on the internet. I am not responsible if people decide to actually storm <laughs> Area 51. So already this person's kind of distancing themselves <sighs> from oh, any man. potential liability. That sounds like a legally binding yeah right (laughs) yeah exactly so so but anyway so some uh media outlets picked this up Mm -hmm. and they actually kind of ran with it and they started really whipping it up into a fervor and this prompted uh a u.s government spokesperson response and so they released a statement saying area 51 is an open training range for the u.s air force and we would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American armed forces. The U.S. Air Force always stands ready to protect America and its assets. Wow. So that's, you know, you can read into that as far as you want, but you might actually get some top secret military tech pointed at you. I doubt they will forget to make preparations for any contingency. Here. I, I I doubt that they're just gonna kind of let it blow over. Yeah. and just assume that nobody's going to show up. I mean, they're like the the military is so large that it always has to create training exercises for itself. So in a way, this is probably like a great opportunity for excellent. them to mm-hmm. actually do like mobilize some troops and plan for some things and write your briefings and exactly the whole plan and all that stuff so yeah yeah so um if i had to give one piece of advice about this it would be don't go yeah i'm with you yeah but who knows robin i'm gonna cancel my amazon order maybe as an exercise in our journalistic flex we should we should aim to go oh god (laughs) (laughs) are we journalists or do you know first of all no (laughs) We're not. <laughs> Robin, are we mice or are we journalists? <laughs> do we, do we, get, like, we have to buy special hats if we're going to play journalists. Like, how oh, do we do that? Definitely. I mean, like, yeah. So either either you'll see a, a podcast episode published roughly September 27th uh, detailing our exploits or you will never hear from us again. Mm-hmm. The listeners who like our show will be like, oh, yeah, don't do it. And the ones who are like, God end the show like, be like go to area it, 51 do it, do it. <laughs> storm it storm it um so anyway so yeah so i you know anyone listening just watch the news at about 3 p.m pacific time on september 20th and just you know i wonder if it'll feel by then you know yeah but well i'm sure the majority of people won't go but you have to imagine that there's going to be a small handful mm-hmm. of real winners mm-hmm. who are going to show yeah, up. Yeah, let's keep our eyes on it. We should yeah. do a little follow-up. Yeah, it's okay. Like... Stay tuned. You yeah. heard it here first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, something I wanted to add to our discussion about CIA secrecy 
and Area 51 is that um, Walter Cronkite did an interview in 1964, kind of the Dan Rather of his time, I suppose. People trusted him. And he did this big expose story on the fact that the CIA had been doing its own investigations into UFOs. He had actually good sources. What he knew was true. The government never admitted to it, Mm. but he was going off of good info and the government continued to deny it. So that already, I think that did a lot to push the public imagination into, okay, A, the government's hiding the fact that they're investigating UFOs, which might lend credence to the fact that they exist, Mm. right? Mm. And so I just wanted to point that out that sometimes if, like, say if the government had admitted to it and said, okay, yes, um, it's true, we've been investigating UFOs and it's actually really unremarkable, which they actually have at at times done, but their reports are always like, yeah, like we've looked into thousands of sightings and basically nothing to see here go home. Along the lines of it can all be explained by what we currently know about uh, the the current state of technology and science, um, yeah. or you know, it's birds or it's weather balloons or whatever. So, just wanted to point that out that um, that was kind of a big event that might have shifted the way people think about it. People who are like, you know, it's Uncle Fred saying there's something about UFOs, and then suddenly a a high profile journalist says that the government might be covering something up about it. That's different. Sure. Right. Yeah. And what they were covering up is that they were investigating it, which UFOs are just unidentified flying objects that the military obviously would want to investigate because they could be foreign aircraft, they, they could be aliens, they could be anything. You need to kind of investigate to figure it out. But yeah, it makes sense to investigate them. I don't know why they wouldn't admit that. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it makes you yeah. wonder. It makes you wonder what the actual men in black looks like, right? Fox Mulder. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Listening Glass. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends and on social media. Your word of mouth means a lot to us and is a way you can help our humble podcast grow. Special thanks to Austin Sloan, Ben, Araya Sunshine, Sarah Wolf, and Alyssa for agreeing to be interviewed and contributing to this episode. Thanks to Mac Woodruff for letting us use his track, Master Ohm, in our intro and elsewhere. Also, a warm thanks to the band Kneebody for letting us use their track, Dr. Bochef Penguin Dentist, which you are hearing right now. Some of the stories and history mentioned in this show came from the book Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base by Annie Jacobson. The radio broadcast heard towards the beginning was ABC News Radio Show Headline Edition with Taylor Grant in New York, broadcast on July 8, 1947. Find us on our Twitter handle, at ListeningGlass. You can leave feedback there or by emailing us at listeningglasscast at gmail.com. Join the ongoing discussion in our community by joining our Discord server, linked in our episode description. 